Well, if you look up front, you'll see a picture of a familiar family you don't see every Sunday, but this is Jonathan and Sarah Farmer, and once in a while you'll see a little video of them when we're sending Christmas gifts out to Indonesia. They are what we call our global partners. They are part of our family that are serving the Lord in Indonesia. Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation in the world, and the percent of Christians in Indonesia is 0.00. So you won't find a more needy place than Indonesia. They are on a very small, remote, third world island, and they're serving the Lord. And you can see their family there. So we got to hear from them on this past Thursday night, we were able to spend a little bit of time with them and get an update uh, from them. But I'd like to give a little background to their story that Jonathan and Sarah, right after they got married, they went to China, and they're serving the Lord there. Sarah found out she's pregnant. They're very excited. But the doctors soon told her that their baby would have complications, serious complications, and they recommended an abortion. Or if they preferred, they should go back to the United States and try to have the birth here. And so they elected to come back to the States, and, and Zoe was born. Uh, she was born with half of a heart. And a uh, number of surgeries that took place, and they could not have a heart transplant for her because she didn't have the hookups for a full heart. And so they went through this, and they, they still wanted to serve the Lord, but going back to China was not an option. They didn't have the medical care there. And so what they decided to do, uh, a door opened up to go to Indonesia, and even though there are even fewer medical options where they're going, it's a two-hour boat ride to Singapore, and Singapore has as good a hospitals as anywhere in the world. And so they then went to this remote island, uh, but it's a two-hour boat ride uh, from Singapore and began serving the Lord. And no believers there. They're beginning in a very difficult environment. So they have uh, their two other children, the two other boys up on the left and down the front, left. And she finds out she's pregnant again. The doctors came back with news that uh, there's some challenges. Uh, this baby has that extra chromosome, will be born, as you can see, little Owen, Down syndrome, which means cognitive issues as well as physical issues. And you can imagine uh, what it might be like to go through something like that and wonder, Lord, what is this all about? Why is this happening? Here you have a young couple who has given their life to go to the furthest place on the earth to serve the Lord in very difficult positions, and, and this and this will happen? It might be a little bit like the Apostle Paul felt when he wrote to his friends in Corinth, Greece, this letter. And we're going to turn this morning to a passage. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, I'm going to read this section of Scripture. Now, we'll typically have it up on the screen for you. And you see, I've got a pretty big Bible. See, people say, that's a big Bible. Um, I don't carry this with me all week long, everywhere I go. 
it sits on my desk, and I bring it here on Sunday because I, I can preach out of it. I can see the big print. But you will notice I've got this section all underlined and marked and highlighted. And that's because this recently has been a real help to me personally. And this is what we want. I want you to, to be able to, now usually I'm, I'm on my iPhone. If I'm looking at Bible, I'm traveling around doing things. It's just more convenient. And most, most of you will bring digital things. But I want you to be able to see it and have your own copy when you're at home. If I can help you with that to let God's word work through your life as it did Paul. And he, he speaks very confessionally about this, about his own experience of, of working through the what and why of physical suffering. The title of the message this morning is Overcoming Physical Suffering. So if you turn there and you can follow along as I read this text, it's a tremendous, tremendous passage of Scripture. He says, for if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth, but I would spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Now, Paul had had some very special things happen to him, extraordinary revelations or Christ revealing himself to Paul in a very unique way. So he was, he was a very blessed man when it came to his relationship to God. But he says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, or literally to beat me up, or to uh, buffet me. So this was given to me, this messenger of Satan, that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, it's interesting about when you, when you look at this word weakness, and it's mentioned three times, weakness or weaknesses. And, and you can think of that in a lot of ways. You know, I just need the strength for something. But the, the actual word is translated often disease, physical sickness, or what we're entitled here, a physical suffering. So there are a lot of problems that we face in life. But he's talking, this thorn in his flesh, he is talking about a physical malady, a, a physical struggle that he's going through. So this is what he is battling, a physical suffering. So how does Paul work through this with the questions of what is God doing and why am I going through this? Because here you have a man who has given his whole life to serving God. And you could think, well, what do you get for that? A thorn in the flesh. Satan just pounding on you constantly. Does that seem right? So we'll look through how he overcame it and 
a little closer look. So first, I want us to see the reality of physical suffering. He says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What was it that was bothering him physically? And, and we don't know exactly. There's lots of speculation. But I think many commentators, and I, and I think rightly so, conclude this, that he was suffering with the effects of malaria. Uh, the, the reason for that, I'll explain it just for a moment, because when, if you follow through his trip to, uh, when he had gone on his first missionary journey, there are experiences that he went through. Now, most of us are not familiar in this culture, in this part of the world, with malaria. Uh, we have been with our son. Our son, Ross, in 2010, was in Ghana, West Africa, leading a a group of college students on a missions trip to remote places, and the entire team got sick. So Ross was running around trying to help people with all the various things, uh, getting them to hospitals, getting them to clinics. It was, it was just a very pressured situation. And he wore himself down to where he contracted malaria, a unique strain of malaria. He had a uh, perforated esophagus. He had parasites in his body. He had infection going on, res result of injections. And he, he, was, he was dying, and th there was no care for him. The last uh, text we got from him, he was, uh, someone had taken all of his things and left him in a van, and they weren't coming back, and, and he was passing out with a, with a fever. God miraculously... Um, brought someone there, and he was evacuated to South Africa and was in the hospital for a few weeks uh, recovering. This was during World Cup, and we couldn't get a flight into South Africa. Um, but since that time, uh, he has had recurrences of malaria. And, and so what happens is once that's in your system, it can come back. And his was a rare form of this, that regular medication is not going to handle. So he still can have these episodes of, of fever, of incredible uh, headaches. And these are the things that for Paul uh, was taking place. When he had gone on his first missionary journey, he had traveled to an island and uh, evangelized and then left that island and went up to what is now the southern part of Turkey and began preaching. And, and then he moved, it seems a little bit strange, he goes inland all the way up into higher elevation to minister to what we call the churches of Galatia. And this is, this is where his first journey was. And if you read in Galatians, he said, it was because of an illness that I came to you. So if you read, they think, well, what was that all about? Well, most likely on the lowlands of Turkey, malaria was common. And and all of the, the symptoms, the eye trouble that we know that Paul had, uh, his vision, uh, those sorts of things, probably plagued him his entire life. So having the headaches, the migraines, the fevers, the chills, uh, the difficulty seen uh, with his eyes made it very challenging for him to be able to go on. And so this is what he was pleading with God, that God would just miraculously heal him from this. So it gives you a little bit of insight of what he's going through. And all of us here have 
had some level of physical suffering. Some level. And I don't, I don't really, I feel a little more unco- uncomfortable, probably most of us do, sharing you know, my physical suffering, because anytime I'm thinking of that, <laughs> I think it is so pale compared to what a lot of people go through. But it's up front and real with me, because whatever I'm going through, <laughs> I'm going through it. Whatever you're going through, you're going through. And you make the application. What Paul's learning in his physical suffering, he is, he is giving us instruction on how, how he's worked through this. So I'm 39 years old, not now, but I was 39 years old. And uh, at that time, I was probably, it, it, uh, you know, we were living here in Colorado, doing well, church is going well, work was going well, business going well, marriage is going well. I'm, I'm dating my wife. I'm spending time with the kids. I'm, my, my physical health was probably as good as it had ever been in my life. I was going to the gym four days a week, um, active in a lot of things. And uh, at that point, if you were to come to me and say, Pastor, I'm really going through some physical suffering, I would have a lot of really great verses to share with you. Uh, You ever been around a person like that? (laughs) And I would tell you exactly what God says and what Paul says. And I I could have told you everything I'm going to tell you this morning. But something happened on the way to a wedding rehearsal. (laughs) Is I got in a car accident. And that car accident changed my life. It was six months of it in a neck brace. I was trying everything to, to get rid of the pain, trying medication, which I hated. I'd have a heart, it made me sick, sleep, so forth. I ended up having surgery on my neck. And you say, well, that, that cured everything. No, it didn't, because <clears throat> for the next 10 years, I had headaches every day. Every day I had headaches. And a couple times a week, I'd have migraines. Some of you have had migraines. It just kind of incapacitate you. So that was about 1998. And when all that took place. And then uh, two years later, I was in India, and I got a respiratory virus that just about shut down my lungs. And for, for like three months, I, I wasn't able to speak. I wasn't able to preach. I wasn't able to do anything. And then uh, finally getting over that, and the, my immune system attacked my pancreas and destroyed my pancreas so it would not function. Uh, islet cells weren't being produced, and so I, I was a type 1 diabetic. And for those of you that would say, if you just exercise and eat well, that, then uh, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't, uh, that advice doesn't work. So you're, you're insulin dependent the rest of your life. I'm not trying to, to whine to you, but I'm telling you, th- these are the things that have impacted my life since that time every day of my life. And so this last Thursday, I got a note from my doctor. I'm going to have to have surgery on my neck again coming up in June, June, uh, June 25th. Now, as I said, every time I go to the hospital and I see what other people are going through, I I come away giving thanks for my health. Because in spite of all that stuff, I feel very, very blessed. But I can tell you, it's still a struggle. Because it's it's your life. It's not everybody else doesn't feel it. You look at people, you don't know what they feel. You don't know what they're going through. But this is what happened to me, is is the Lord has taken me again to this passage. (laughs) This is why I'm sharing it with you. We're talking about overcoming. And I have prayed so many times, God, heal me. God, take this away. God, God, I just wish I could remove because just think of how much more productive I could be if I wouldn't have to go through these things. So you understand, I'm not trying to compare my life to yours or even compare it to Paul's or anyone else's, but I'm just saying that, that for me it's a struggle, and I know for you, whatever your physical suffering is or you experience in your life or your family, 
is a challenge for you. But the same truth applies. That's what's so good. And I love that Paul speaks in a very transparent, open, confessional way that we can learn these lessons from him. So, <clears throat> why, why do we have suffering? This is, uh, we call, you know, C.S. Lewis called it the problem of pain. And, and it is the question that people will ask, if God is sovereign and all-powerful and God is good, then how can we have suffering? And that's a really good question. It's a really good question. And I think that there, there's an unfolding story that, that is the Bible. And so if we were to take all of Scripture, and there are really four major scenes. And I'd like to just kind of just quickly get, highlight this. There are four, like four chapters and four scenes that tell the whole story of the Scripture. The first scene is creation. Creation is when God created the heavens and the earth. And he created man, he created woman, he brought them together, and everything was perfect. Everything. It was perfect. There was no sin, no sorrow, no sickness, no pain, nothing. You say, well, why didn't we just stay that way? And it's because God desired to have relationship with his people. He created you and he created me to have relationship with us. And he didn't create robots. So when God gives man, Adam and Eve, free will, and we want free will, don't we? And you can't have relationship unless a person chooses to have that. Otherwise, you have the robot. The moment God allows free will, there's a risk. Here is the risk. The risk is that in my free will, I will choose something wrong against God. And that's why the second chapter is what we call the fall. <laughs> the fall. So Adam and Eve, they sinned against God, and the curse of the fall came upon the earth, and every one of us have chosen to sin. And so this is, this is what has happened, and we are, we are all sinners. We are all helpless to do anything about it. So you have Genesis 1 and 2, creation. Genesis 3, you have fall. But beginning in, in chapter 3, verse 15, you have the next chapter, which is called redemption. And this is a story that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the whole, from, from Genesis 3 all the way up to Revelation, is the story of good news of redemption that God is rescuing us from sin. Final chapter, restoration. God will create all things new. So here's, that's what we have to look forward to, is that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be better than, if that's possible, better than initial creation. And we will have a relationship with him forever. That's the story of the scripture. So the fact is, we, we're living now in, after the fall, we have the story of redemption, and we are awaiting restoration. That's, that's where we are right now. And we live in a fallen world, in fallen bodies, and we feel the pain and the effects of sin. This is, this is what has happened. So, it'll, it's a little bit puzzling 
when you, when you think about these words, a messenger of Satan. Who caused this? So your, your pain, your cancer, your sickness, your difficulty, who did that to you? Um, remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, or the devil... Well, exactly, all evil, it doesn't come from God. God, is, God cannot do evil. God is all about good. So rightly said, this is a messenger of Satan. So Satan has done this. The malaria, the problem with Down syndrome, part of the fall. But he also says it's a gift from God. Because he says, a gift is, is from God. A messenger of Satan was is given to me. What God gives things. So how can it be that Satan has hit me and God has given to me this as a gift? The best way I can describe it is when we live in this world, <laughs> Satan is hammering on us, but God is sovereign over everything. And God will not allow one thing to touch your life that he doesn't want and that he's not going to use for your good. And that's why when Jason used those verses, all things work together for good. He didn't say all things are good because there are a lot of bad things happen to good people. But God is so sovereign and good and powerful, he is going to take that negative thing and Satan, who he's, he's feel like, ah, I got him. God is going to orchestrate this in your life for your good. A gift from God. So we move to the second point from the reality of physical suffering. And there's not a person in here that doesn't face the reality of some sort of physical suffering. What is the reason for it? What is the reason? And he states this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. The last part of the verse, he says, So that I would not exalt myself. so that I would not exalt myself. Well, what you think, or in, in some translations say, so I would not become conceited. So you think, so is Paul this arrogant, proud guy that God's got to knock down and get him, you know, it's like some people just need to be humbled. <laughs> is that what it is? I don't, I don't sense an arrogance about Paul. However, Paul was at this, in his life, at the top of his game, okay, I mean, it's kind of like I was, and I'm thinking back to, you know, things are going well, doing this, doing this, serving God, going, okay. And so, he sees this now that so that he would not become self-confident, self-reliant. And, you know, it's like gifted, capable people can tend to think, I'll get her done. I'll get her done. And that's the way I was. I mean, I still, I'm still that way. I hate to say it. But typically, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it done. You know what? I'll try harder. Work it through. And it's like God does not need that. When we become self-reliant, self-confident, independent, we become distant from God, and, and that relationship begins to diminish. So that is the reason. And I think in two folds, he, he says it this way. He'll come, and I'll put this in the form of two questions. First question is, where is your strength? You say, Paul, where is your strength? Well, you want to you see that? This is what I can do. Paul, Paul wasn't boastful, but 
he probably was a bit more self-reliant than he needed to be. Because, because the point is that in your weakness, I will be strong. Not in your strength, because when you are strong, you're really weak. But when you are weak, you are dependent and helpless and needy and calling upon me. And when you are weak, you are strong. This is counterintuitive. This is a paradox. This is not the way we think. So God gets greater glory and gets greater relationship when He uses your weakness. This is a hard thing to process. Out of weakness, God is strong. The needs of this world will never be met by what people can do for God. But by what God can do through people. So you must become weak that He might become strong. That's the message. This is the reason. The reason is that you're, so you don't become exalted, inflated in yourself. You must become weak that he might become strong. And you know what? That was the story of his life. That was the story of his life. Because almost in every single situation of Paul's imprisonment, his beatings, his difficulties, God was using those, using His weakness to change the world. God is doing a work in your weakness. First in you, and then through you. Through your weakness, you're becoming stronger. And through your weakness... He's having stronger influence in the lives of others. Now, that's a lot to get your head around. I wish I could say, you know what? I learned that back in 1998, and you know what? It's changed my life. I'll tell you what, I have to keep learning it. That's why I'm back in this text again. That's why I'm going through these verses again. Because the meaning hasn't changed, the verses haven't changed, but now I have new circumstances in my life that I need this again to remind me Matt, it's not that you have no pain that you're going to get more done. That's the way I think. If I'm out of this pain, just think of what I could do. It's in your weakness that I will be strong. So third, we see the response to physical suffering. So what will, what will his response be? He says concerning this, verses 8 and 9, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I, this is what he's saying here, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. That's quite a statement. He's saying, I am boasting now in my weakness. And I glory in this. And I joy in this. So his response, his first response was, if you look back, he prayed three times for it to be gone. Have you ever prayed that before? I mean, I pray that about most everything. Lord, take it away. 
Just think, Lord, if you deliver me from this problem, then just think. (laughs) I don't, a couple things on this. I don't think that's wrong to pray. Because all through the Psalms, it tells us, pour out your heart, pour out your heart, pour out your heart to God. And you know what? I am still praying that God would heal my neck before June 25th. (laughs) Unless he shows me otherwise, I'm praying, because I don't really want to do the surgery. I'd rather just learn the lesson, say, Lord, that was a great verse, changed my life, um, (laughs) and move on, okay? So I'm still praying for that. Secondly, I believe God can heal me. I believe God heals people today. I don't believe that's just, oh, that's the Old Testament, that's the New Testament. I believe in miraculous healings today. There's nothing in the scriptures that would make me think that. Now, when I was in seminary, I used to think, no, I can't. Not, that's not for today. That was for the past. But you know what? I've had friends like that, too, and they'll go around the world and say, you know what? I saw it for myself. I didn't believe it. I saw it. God can do miraculous healings. That's a whole other conversation. But God is able. I think God many times gets a lot of his glory in that. He, he confirms his gospel. He has people stand in awe of miraculous healings if it serves that purpose. I think God can, can do that. And so I pray for that. However, it's like with Jesus. Do you remember when it, God does not answer? You say, and a lot of times people say, well, you don't have enough faith. You just need more faith. So, ah, more faith. It's a good thing God doesn't answer every prayer. What if Jesus in the garden said, Lord, let this cup pass from me? So God says, okay, come on to heaven. We're not going to do this cross thing. We're all done. We're all done. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So that's kind of how I'm trying to pray. Because, Lord, if you can get greater glory accomplished, more through going through continued pain to the end of my life, then I will gladly accept that. And I think that's the way you pray. If God gives you insight to know how to pray, that I shouldn't pray for this anymore, then then he can do that for us. So this is his response. And I think that, generally speaking, I see three responses that people will have um, when there's physical suffering. The first one is natural. uh, Escape. Get me out of this. Lord, I just want out. I need out of this. Um, I don't blame people for that, but the problem with physical suffering is you can't move to Kansas and get rid of it. I mean, you can maybe get rid of in-laws or you can get rid of other kinds of problems in your life, but you cannot get rid of physical suffering because everywhere you go, there it is. Okay, so how do people escape from physical suffering? Well, they do it through drugs and alcohol and addictions of sorts. They do it through work. They do through they self-medicate to try to numb themselves through it. I mean, there, there are a lot of ways that you can try to get through your physical pain. But what happens is it, it leaves you defeated. You don't overcome your physical suffering. Your, your physical suffering ends up overcoming you. So escape is the first response. The second response is to endure it. Well, you know what? And this is the one I'll tend to do. I just suck it up (laughs) as God's will. You know what? That's the way it is. But what happens to that kind of person, you end up growing bitter. 
about it. There's no joy in that. And again, you're defeated. Your physical suffering has overcome you, not externally, but internally, it's eaten you up. You've lost all your joy, all your peace, all your contentment. Life is just not worth living anymore. You're just sucking up and get through. The third response, and I believe is Paul's response, is to embrace it. To cooperate with what God is doing and to find joy in it. And that brings me to my last point, is the rejoicing in physical suffering. Which you may say, now you've completely lost your mind. Here's what he says in verse 10. So, this is his conclusion. I take pleasure in weaknesses. Remember what we said to define weakness? Disease, sickness, pain, suffering, hardship, physical. I take pleasure. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Quite the resolution, but this is the only way to overcome physical suffering and to find the joy in it. He was witnessing the mighty power, the mighty strength of God in his life. That brought joy. He saw God working in his life through the pain. And he saw God working through his life through the pain. That's what's so amazing. God's working in my life to change me. He's working through my life to change others. God has more ministry of helping others than you could ever imagine through your weakness and not your strength. And here's the the really exciting thing about this. This physical suffering, ready, is temporary. It's temporary. Because here's what, here's what he says in, in, in a previous letter. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. You ready? We will not all die. But we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown and when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed for our dying bodies. You hear that? Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. This is the teaching of the Scripture. Our hope is a new body that doesn't get sick, that has no pain, that lives forever with God and eternity. So this hope keeps us moving forward. So how does Paul rejoice with this truth? How do you rejoice with this truth? How did the farmers do with little Owen? I want you to hear from Sarah. She's going to tell about the effect of this. We'll play this.
Romans 5, I really think, there's so many verses that God has used in my life and these things, but Romans 5 really nails it. It says, we rejoice in our salvation, and the glory of God in our salvation is amazing. But not only this, we rejoice in suffering, because suffering produces something amazing. We don't produce it, it's produced in us. And what is that amazing thing that suffering produces? It produces this, this strength. It produces this heartbreaking. It produces this sadness in me, or this, this peace in me. And it produces hope. And it produces a hope that's, that's different from any other hope that the world could give. Because it's a hope that will never disappoint. It's a sure thing. It's not like, I hope this will happen. It's a hope that I am sure this will happen. And why is all this? And it says, because the love of God has been poured in your hearts to Christ Jesus. And through this, these circumstances, God has been pouring His love in our hearts. And we just get to pour it back out to the real and alive people. For the sake of the gospel, for the glory of His name. What's hard is when it first happens to you. And when you hear the story unfold, you say, oh, I see it now. But, but when you first hear the news, you first go to the doctor, you first feel the pain, it takes a lot of faith to believe everything you say in truth. And that's why God's Word is given to us to anchor us and to lead us. Now let's transition to your pain, your personal, physical suffering. How will you respond? Will you try to escape in whatever way you can? Will you try to endure it, just suck it up? Or will you embrace what God's doing in your life and ask for His grace and His help that in your weakness you might be strong and through your weakness you might bring strength to others? I'm going to have us bow our heads and for prayer. And I'd like to just lead all of us in prayer. You can pray along with me. And I'd like to pray a prayer on your behalf and on my behalf. Of, And you know your physical suffering. To apply this. Lord God in heaven. We know that you love us more than we'll ever comprehend. You care about us deeply. And you are all powerful and almighty. And you're able to heal to do more in a moment than it will do in a lifetime. So, Lord, we pray for your healing, your physical healing to people in this room, that you would heal us of our physical suffering, of our pain. But, Lord, if that is not what you have for us, help us to lean on you and find your grace, and that through our weakness, we might become strong and through your weakness the lives of others might be touched. And Lord, help us to be reminded of this precious truth and may the thought of eternity every day be sweet for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.